Welcome, everybody, to Roadmap to Joy. I'm just so pleased that we've got a special hour we get to spend um, together with uh, Kevin Warren is with us. And early on my career, and we started um, way back when, in 2007, started treating a wonderful population of kids that actually had adoption, and I like to call it relinquishment histories. And so uh, Kevin, well, I'll let him introduce himself, but we're going to get to take an amazing journey today and share some of your story. So Kevin, maybe introduce yourself. And Yeah, I'm super excited to be on the podcast and have this opportunity to share my story. I'm very passionate about adoption and um, yeah, excited to share. Um, I currently work at Embark. One of the things that drew me to Embark was actually the past experience that you guys have had treating adoption uh, back at Kalo. And so I'm really excited to be here. And um, I think we're going to have a lot of good things to talk about. Yeah, I'm excited, Kevin, because I know we were we worked together for a while, and then until we heard somebody else's story who had, I had worked with for a while, and then you had said, uh, Rob, I'm actually adopted. Yeah. And we had worked together for a little while, right, and I right. was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. Kevin, this is wonderful. <laughs> totally. Let's talk about this. And then, yeah. So we've gotten to share a lot about that. And so um, if you wouldn't mind, um, I just – you were willing and actually eager to be able to share. And what are some of your hopes and goals for this time Yeah, um, for the listener? For sure. Before today, I was trying to think like, what are some things if as I was a kid or even if I were a parent, what are some things that I would really feel like I wouldn't want to, to hear from somebody who's been adopted and then also from an expert in the field? Um, and so I, I love for for adoptees to feel heard, understood, and and that they would feel like not alone. And then I also like for the the population of parents who are um, adoptive parents or even thinking of being um, parents who adopt, uh, for them to know kind of what it's like for um, adopted kids to go through um, and uh, just to hear firsthand experience. I feel like that's really important for parents to understand like what somebody's gone through and what somebody's experienced. And for me, it's been a very hard, but also very beautiful journey. So I really just hope that that's what people get out of it. I love that, Kevin. So, well, if you don't mind, let's climb in. So yeah. I, I, if you wouldn't mind starting at the beginning and share a little bit of your story. For sure. Um, so I was adopted at almost two years old. Um, I was born in Salem, Oregon. And um my biological mother, I'll, I'll refer to them as biological parents, and my mom and dad as my adoptive parents. So my biological parents, uh, I believe that it was more of a just a one-night stand type of situation. So they didn't have a, a, a relationship. Um, now, now I know. Um, and so I was... Um, I was born in a hospital after my biological mother got out of prison to give birth to me. And so she was in prison during my preg- during her pregnancy with me and was uh, struggling through a lot of substance use and um, um, during that time uh, prior to being in prison. And so I'm thankful because she was not able to be on drugs while she was pregnant with me. So that's actually like a beautiful thing. And, and for, unfortunately, not something that, um, that all adoptees have the 
privilege of experiencing. But um, but being you know, incarcerated probably kept her right. sober, and yeah. you as an infant, the, yep. the fetus in a healthy way. Totally. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. And so I was living after I was born. Um, I guess there was a whole like thing with her bringing a couple of people that she thought might have been the biological father to the hospital to see me, and there was I guess a couple of confusions of oh you might be the father. I actually I don't think you are the father. It must be the, this, this other person, and we'll get into that later. But they had multiple people, and and no shame to her at all. She's actually like I'll get into this, but she's had a beautiful redemption story of just like just wholeness and just she's been sober for so long and is an incredible person. Um, but at that time, she was going through a lot of struggles, and um, and so. Um, yeah, I ended up living with a relative of hers. Um, I was physically abused and both of my legs were broken um, when I was in that place. And I don't know who it is and um, I'm not sure if she does, uh, but I was put into a hospital around the age of a year and a half into a hospital that specializes in abused infants. And uh, they found that both of my legs were broken and that it probably was not an accident. Of course, I don't remember any of that, but, you know, I'm sure it's affected something somehow. And so I actually didn't know that until I uh, started searching for my biological mother and father through medical records. And I saw that um, and it was pretty crazy to see. Um, but anyways, and so um, after that point was when they put me up for adoption, and uh, it was a closed adoption, and so my parents, my mom and dad, my adoptive parents, did not know my biological mother or father when they adopted me. They were living in Oregon at the time, so I lived in Salem for probably about a year after I was adopted, and then my adoptive parents and I moved to Sacramento, California. They adopted about probably five, six years later, they adopted two separate siblings, not related to me, but related to each other from a foster home. And um, we only actually were able to keep and fully legally adopt the sister of the two because the brother was physically abusive to um, my sister, who's not biological, biologically related, but I grew up with. Um, and um, before the adoption was final, um, the adoption agency actually suggested that we put him in a home that is uh, better fit for his needs. And I'm not sure exactly what those were, but I found out he went into the military and he's living a enjoyable life. So that's good. But um, so yeah. So let me go back yeah, for please. a second, Kevin. Yep. Yep. I know there's a lot. So much yeah. wonderful information. So was your uh, biological mother at the time, mm -hmm. I know now that you look back, was she prepared to give you up for adoption or you just went mm, to this yeah. family temporarily or for do you sure. know? No, that's a good question. So, well, I'm, I've gotten in touch with them. And so from what I know is uh, she, um, I, I don't think she wanted to give me up for adoption. And I think that I was put in with her friend or family member temporarily in hopes that I would be reunited with her after she was out of prison. And then to walk us through, so yeah, yeah how did you go from the those people mm -hmm. and did did you go into social services or how were you oh, adopted? Yes, yes. So I was actually put with um with a 
grandfather and a grandmother who actually specialize in like being like the host, the family host for um, like toddlers and infants that are going to be adopted. And so they, I'm not sure exactly what the name of it is, but they, um, it's what they did for like their life is they just like had babies and like kept them at their home until, um, uh, until the adoption service found a family for them. So I was with those individuals for, I think, probably close to a year, maybe. I'm not sure. But I know when, when I was injured, I was really, really young. And I was adopted at two. So it must have probably been a year. Was was finding out about the injury, was that the, the triggering mechanism to have you go to these people? Oh, yes, it was. So when the hospital... Um, like when I was taken to the hospital, I'm pretty sure what happened is the hospital called and reported it. And that's why um, it then became a very closed off adoption. Uh, my biological mother was not able to get in touch with me and all of that. It just completely, yeah. As well as from the people who had you. Correct. Right. Yeah. So even infant Kevin has experienced a tremendous amount of trauma. Yeah. At that point. In time. Yeah. Yeah. So you go live with these people and then you're in the system available for adoption mm-hmm. and then your parents right find you. Yep. And there And how was there any special way that they found you other than living in the same state or um I don't know. Um I know that they um my my mom was not able to have kids and um or my dad were not sure but they tried um tried for a long time. And, and so they basically just decided they wanted to adopt and told the adoption agency, uh, we are, you know, open for anyone. Like we just, we just want a child. And I happen to be that child. My family, I actually was given to my parents on my dad's birthday. So that's kind of a random fun fact, but, but yeah, they, they just wanted to adopt. And so, um, and then they got a call one day and said, we have a baby boy who's looking for, who needs a home. And so there you go. And remind me how old you were the day of your adoption. The day of my adoption, I was around two. Around two. Yeah. So two years is quite a bit of time to be. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I've yeah. never really thought of it that way, to be honest, because I've been like, oh, two is so young. Like nobody remembers anything from two. But, you know, going through the the yeah. therapy and the, um, you know, even just reading up on things and hearing other people's story, like there's a lot, there's <laughs> a lot packed into those two years that can affect the rest of your life. And, you know, a journey of healing is a, is a lifelong thing. So, yeah. It's so significant. So I, I love that we're talking about this. Me too. How yeah. many people do feel like, oh, it was only two. Right. I think it was so quick. But yeah. yet, those two years are so formative. This is why I'm just sort of amazed at going through broken legs. And you can imagine, I don't know that you're getting the most nurturing care if, when you're with those people experiencing that. So even little Kevin is starting off in the world. And then that these people adopt you. Right. Your parents. And then so catch us up. So you they adopt um, more children, so you have siblings. Correct. And then, so tell me about your siblings again. Yeah. So it ended up just being one that I grew up with. And so my sister, 
Um, we, um, yeah, they adopted her and her biological brother, unrelated to me. Oh, okay. But, um, and that's when he um, hurt my sister multiple times. And um, so the the adoption service suggested that he go back into foster care for a little while. Um, and so I grew up with my sister. Well, what's the age difference? Oh, four years. So she's 24, 25. I was, I can't remember exactly how old I was when we adopted her, but I think she was close to three, so I must have been seven. So you'd been five years approximately. Yeah, yeah. With them, without a... I I will say I remember vividly a moment of a little bit of fear of like, what's it going to be like to have a sibling? Because I've had this experience of being the only child for, you know, five years or whatever and developing this relationship. And then all of a sudden there's these two siblings that come into the picture that I've never met, that I never know, that I never had that moment of like holding as a baby, being that big baby brother, you you know, or that big brother. When you're not pregnant, you're not prepared. Right. It it was a very weird experience. A quick little side note on that. I remember us going to pick them up from uh, from the house that they were at. And we literally had a minivan and we drive up to the home. And I remember seeing this woman walk out in tears and um, my parents go in and greet her and um, they walk out with my sister and would have been my brother. Um, and they get in the car with us and I'm sitting in the, the middle seats and my sister gets put in the little seat next to me. Um, and, uh, there were those little, it was like a Honda Odyssey or whatever. So the seats are separated and she's got a, um, a car seat and my, who would have been my brother was in the back. And I just remember the whole way, the whole drive, he would just like, like call me like, Hey, you, Hey, you, who are you? Like, why, why are you here? And, um, it was a really weird, really weird experience. You know, honestly, it really was the whole ride. He just wanted to know like what, why we were doing this. And so it was just like, wow, like as like, and I wanted to be like a brother, but I'm only seven and I'm like, what do I even do? So it's, it was just a very odd experience. I will say. So how long was the brother with you before they sent him? It was unsafe. Probably not even a year. Oh, not even a year. So yeah. it was the three of you, and then it goes to the two of you. Correct. And what is that relationship with, like, with your sister, if I can My ask? sister? Yeah. It was always very tough. Uh, well, first and foremost, her biological mother was on drugs when she was pregnant with her. So she had some more extensive um, mental struggles. And... Um, Mine were anxiety and depression and isolation, and hers were anger, suicidal ideation, and uh, she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and um, and had a few moments of schizophrenic episodes as well. And so that was, as you can imagine, very hard for my parents, but also um, very hard to navigate as a brother because again i wanted to be like that supportive brother and also wanted to have that relationship um and i will honestly say to this day it's it's been hard because i look back and i think like wow i really wish that i had that 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 from birth to growing up experience Mm -hmm. i will say we don't have the closest relationship but i i I really am just hoping and praying that that changes, um, obviously, because I love her a lot. But yeah. growing up, it was it was um, a fairly close relationship, but she did 
end up um, just basically saying, I don't want to be a part of this family and leaving. And so she got put into a, um, a uh, rehabilitation center that treated, uh, specialized in DBT. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was in Houston, Texas. And she was 17 at the time. And uh, she did not voluntarily go. My parents had some, uh, I can't remember the name. Transporters. Transporters come <laughs> and take her. Yeah. Um, and so, and my parents visited her every month. And it was very uncommon for parents to do that. Um, and um, she had a lot of good breakthrough and uh, stuff there. But then unfortunately, when she came back home, did not, follow pretty much anything that that um she learned and uh really started getting into some dangerous stuff again and ultimately decided like well i don't want to do these things that you're asking me to do fairly normal things and decided to leave and so uh i think that was hard for my parents and um in some ways it was a catch-22 for me because it was hard but i was also at this point, I was probably 21, and I was like, well, I mean, if this is going to be better for you, then, I mean, that's what needs to happen because, yeah. you know, I can't have you pulling knives on my parents and stuff. So so things were really dangerous. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, I, I can only imagine how stressful that was on you. Yeah. But you talked yeah. about your parents. It's right. Maybe, maybe if you don't mind describing your experience with your parents and, mm-hmm. you know, from... Were they nurturing and loving? Yeah. And what was that like for you? Yeah, yeah. No, they were they were very nurturing and loving. My sister really did rock their world a little bit, and um, my my mom um, coped with, um, I'd say probably an eating disorder, possibly, and uh, really. Uh, just completely secluding herself from the family. Um, And my dad became a workaholic. I would say he probably would acknowledge that even today. And I mean, again, my mom and dad now, um, probably the last three years have had an incredible healing experience and and are doing so much better. And I mean, really, I, I, I give so much love and support to my parents because they did everything that they could and they, they genuinely are awesome parents. But I mean, there it was a very dark time. And I think that, that my family, looking back, um, we, um, we turned away from community and it was movies and uh, like, sitting on the couch doing nothing or me just being in my room. And um, I, I will say I, I didn't know how to have healthy friendship. Um, and my family doesn't, is, is learning how to have healthy friendship. Currently. And currently. Well, yeah. Kevin, thank you. This is such an amazing story. If, if I could, when did you um, recognize or begin to understand that there was this adoption and how did your parents create an environment around the adoption story? I remember being maybe eight or nine and I'm sure they told me I was adopted before this but this is this is when they when I remember and my mom I think we were having some kind of conversation and and I don't I never ended up having the experience of being a um, 
I don't know what the technical word for it would be, but lashing out about, you're not my mom, you're not my dad. You know, I I did have moments of that and I, but I think it, it showed itself in, um, in a different way than a lot of kids would. It wasn't necessarily an anger or hatred, um, but it was in insecurity and anxiety. And I, again, before I go into the story you just told me, I remember being or probably around that age and my family had friends over and that didn't happen very often. And I was in my bedroom and I just needed to go to the restroom. And for some reason, I couldn't muster up the courage to get myself out of my room to walk down the hall. And I was so riddled with anxiety that for some reason I couldn't, like I just, I physically couldn't open my door. You were frozen. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I've actually thought about that over the last few years of just like, I wonder where that was rooted from, or I wonder where that came from, because that's a very abnormal experience. I really think it, it was, it was anxiety clearly. Um, but I, again, I didn't know how to be around people very well. And so, but going back to your question, my mom told me, you know, you're adopted and we would love to partner with you with finding your biological family whenever you feel ready. And was this throughout your life? This was throughout my life. They were always very supportive and that meant a lot to me. Deep down, I always knew I wanted it to be my own journey, but knowing that they were willing to help, I think meant a lot to me. And yeah, I remember my mom saying, your biological mother was beautiful. I've only seen pictures. but she was beautiful and she smoked and, you know, um, and I think that was about it. So in my mind, I had put up this like, and this is also so strange. I, but I'll share anyway, but I, I remember like, even to this day, I remember thinking that I saw like a woman that fit in my mind who my biological mother was like being taken out of the hospital in a wheelchair and she had blonde curly hair. And for some reason, I think that was just like either a dream I had or an association I had in my head of like how to have a personal relationship with my biological mother because I never did. So I somehow created one in my mind. She doesn't have blonde curly hair, by the way, (laughs) but, um, but for some reason, I created that moment in my mind, and I think it made me feel comforted. Yeah, of course. And so um, anyways, just, I mean, that's a normal thing, I think. And if there's people out there that are experiencing the same thing, I mean, I I also wanted to give myself grace and not like looking back. I was like, oh, why am I like having these thoughts or why? Like, is this real? Is this true? And I even brought it up to my mom and was like, is this like, and she's like, no, I don't know where that's coming from, you know, but for some reason it was comforting to me. But, um, I, and I yeah. do want to say, I, yeah, I, in knowing and treating a, adoption for such a long time, it seems to be a very normative thing that I've heard. Weird. Uh, lots of people say, like, I was convinced that I would recognize them on oh, the street. Wow. And yeah. I had this vision of what they would look like, sort of right. like me. And, right. you know, like I was always kind of hyper vigilant for mm-hmm. looking out for them. So it's, yep. it's, it's, I love that you shared that because it's, yeah, it sounds like it's somewhat of a normative thing for us to be able to create an image that is that we can hold on to and helps to maybe calm us a little bit yeah there is this figure in my life so right no yeah that's that's comforting to know that that's not not an abnormal thing no it's it's it's, i think it is quite normal actually yeah yeah so but yeah they were always very open to supporting me and um and that meant a lot that's incredible um so 
when the whole time you have this intuitive sense, I guess, that um, I have this adoption story. Right. My sister does too, but my sister's reacting much differently than me. Right. She's treating my parents much differently than I am. I wonder how that is growing up. Like you're both adopted. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if for you, how do you feel about your parents? You know, is there a connection? Mm. Do you feel a sense of all of this and your sister's reacting a certain way? I just wonder what that's like to have right. two what seems like different experiences, even though there's adoption with these same two people, what, yeah. what that was like for you. Yeah, like what it was like for me to experience in real time or what it seems yeah. like now. Well, just in real time, I wonder what it's like to be Kevin and like, gosh, I really care for these people and I feel like they care about yeah. me. And here, your sister is kind of really wrestling with them yeah, and doing some sure. oppositional stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder if that was a bit of a challenge for you too. Yeah, no, I I think it probably was. Um, I'm trying to think back to what I felt and what I was experiencing. I mean, I remember, I remember. Any time that we would try to go on either road trips together or vacations together, it was always a, my parents always were extremely stressed and uh, they didn't necessarily want, like they wanted to go, but they didn't want to go, if that makes sense. And, um, and it was hard for me because I knew that my mom was going to be frazzled and stressed out and my dad was going to be just kind of a little bit distant. And I, I knew, I think, deep down that, that they were just trying to cope with how to handle my sister and and me. I mean, I was far from a perfect child. I mean, and there was some normal brotherly moments where I would stir the pot a little <laughs> bit and all that kind of stuff. But I think really it was really hard for me to see my sister treating my parents that way. And I think in the moment it was hard, but really when I saw the repercussions of what was happening to my mom and my dad was what was the hardest. So talk to me, Kevin. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about um, how was it going to school and like Mm -hmm. in high school? Like people know you were adopted. Oh my goodness. make assumptions about you? How was that? Was there significant events growing up for you? Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, seventh grade is awkward for all of us. And so I'd say, (laughs) uh, you know, there was on top of just being awkward. It was also like, I, I didn't want anyone to know that I was adopted. So I didn't share with anyone that I was adopted. Do you, Um, do you look like your parents or? I actually somewhat do. I kind of look like my dad. So that worked out in my favor. So you could get away with it. Right. Right. A lot of kids though, don't that are adopted. So, um, you know, so that must be a totally different experience for them. Um, but either way, I didn't want people to know. And there was a sense of shame around being adopted for me. And especially when, when people would make jokes like, oh, he's adopted or things like that. But they didn't know the, that I actually was. And uh, for me, I was like, oh, well, ha ha ha. Just kind of like thinking it's funny. But it actually was a little bit like hurtful and kind of like sure. dug down even more of that feeling of like, well, they can't know I'm adopted because they're going to think I'm weird. And looking back, I'm not sure why I felt that way. I, I, I'm i sure there was so many reasons, but now I'm so open about it and so comfortable in who I am that it almost feels like, man, I wish I could tell little me, like, it's okay. I love you. I'm proud of you. And like, this is a part of like who you are and, and it's a good thing. But I think it was just the nature of me being young 
immature and just not knowing how to to handle it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, For sure. So, uh, yeah, that part of you was you, I'm hearing you saying, I was trying to keep that a little hidden. Right. Even junior high through high school. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and probably freshman year of high school was, was, I mean, freshman year, I, I wouldn't say that it was like me trying to hide it, but, um, I, I, I was a little bit more comfortable, um, but uh, once I started getting into like middle high school years again, and I, I really, even until like the past five years have really been the pivotal time for me to learn what it's like to have a relationship huh. and have close friendship because I didn't feel like that was modeled for me in my life. And I spent a lot of my young youth just isolated. And I mean, I had a few friends for sure that were really, really close. And then I had like, you know, the normal people at school that I'd hang out with here and there. But um, but this social, relational thing, you were like, yeah, my family wasn't real big on it. Right, so right. So it yeah. wasn't modeled for me. So yep. there, you used the term isolation before. Was there a sense of um, maybe withdrawal or internalizing? Or mm-hmm. I would even maybe use the term loneliness. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Um, and I think that that was primarily the biggest thing um, in probably junior high to freshman year was mm-hmm. when that was the the deepest. Um, and that was just me being in my room and really intentionally isolating myself from my family. So through later into high school, it's you're coming to more acceptance about your adoption story. Right. Yeah. So maybe yeah. when does Kevin start to really embrace this journey? And when do you start to think about a search? My sophomore year of, of um, high school, my family started getting involved in church a little bit more, which meant there's a realistic and an actual community around you more. And so I started learning what it's like to have healthier community with people. And I ended up going to a winter camp at that church. And believe it or not, they spoke on fatherhood. Um, and uh, for me, that was very, very personal for me. Um, and um, I had, uh, specifically, they were talking about in in my faith, Christianity, it's Jesus as the father. And so they were talking on that and, um, and that really hit home for me and of learning that I have a father that I can trust in heaven and, um, who sees me for who I am. I deep down believe the, um, the, the complete restoration and healing that, that happened Mm. for me was, was around that. Um, and I felt like I was able to have a personal relationship, um, with God and, um, and that was healing because I just hadn't really had much relationship. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know if that helps, but. Yeah. Did that, that grounding or that healing as you described it, did Mm -hmm. that help you to go on this search yes. journey and yeah. maybe talk about I'm when, glad you asked that question. When did that? Yeah. Yeah, so I think like around the time of finding my faith for myself and um all of that I I really wanted to know um who I was in in a more deep sense. I really feel like around that time was when I started developing a greater sense of it's okay for me to be creative. It's okay for me to um 
all of the things that in my past I was so worried about people knowing too much about or, oh, is being creative unmanly or is, you know, this or that or, um, and so I, I really was like, okay, this is my, this is the start to my journey to figure out where I come from and do I look like them? Am I interested in the same things? Are they creative too? Or, um, you know, what are they like? And I want to figure Your that biological. out. My Yes, thank you for clarifying. My biological family. Um, and then there was also just the practicals of like, well, I want to know like what medical issues do they have that I need to be aware of and um, all of that. And so I remember sitting on my bed with uh, Facebook open and I was sitting there and I was like, I want to know who to search for, but I don't know. And so Did I went you know out names or anything. So I, I, I remember my dad telling me that medical records were in the family safe, which I had access to. And um, so I didn't tell my family that I was doing this and, and they were OK because they told me that they would help me in the past and they were very open about it. And I ended up bringing them into this whole experience and it was awesome. But I remember going out there and I was like, I'm going to find my medical records. How old and, are you at this point? Uh, 20. 20. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I found my medical records and I remember seeing the name Mandy Gibbons on mm. there. And I was like, that's a name that I don't recognize. So I'm going to search that on Facebook. And, um, and then I saw uh, my biological mother's name on there as well. And so I searched that too. So many different results came up. And so I had drafted a uh, little DM <laughs> message <laughs> and I just copied and pasted that to everyone. Hi, my name's Kevin Warren, but my name at birth was Devin James Freeman, which is, believe it or not, true. Hopefully they'd be able to put pieces together. And about four months later, I get a response and, um, and it's Mandy Gibbons. And she said, we've been looking for you our whole life, but we've been looking for the guy named Devin. And we had no idea your name was changed to Kevin. Um, looking back, believe it or not, they actually like uh, they suggested that my name maybe change mm -hmm. because it was more of a hostile adoption. Wow. And um, and my parents just liked the name Kevin versus Devin, I guess. I don't know. Um, and so uh, that was crazy to read that message. And then she put me in touch with my biological mother. So who was that lady? That was my half sister. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, she put me in touch with my biological mother and that was a very emotional phone call. <laughs> so did and you so, dial the number? So she, uh, she told me that, uh, you know, this person might not be prepared to hear from you, but here's her phone number. And so I did call. Um, and, uh, I believe that Mandy, uh, kind of called her prior and said, you might be getting this call, which I'm thankful she did. I would recommend that for anyone going little, through this a experience. Little, a little front yes. Loading yes. And I think that really helped, but, uh, it was, I remember her, my biological mother saying, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to give you up. I didn't want you to be adopted. I wish I could give you a better life and all of this oh, stuff. She and said this to you. yeah, she said this to me and I remember, I remember because I felt in my heart I was I was ready to forgive her. I'm sure for a lot of people, um, they they need extra time to go mm -hmm. through that. And part of me is, is glad that I waited until I was ready for all of that because, really, like even though I did live a good life, um, there was still a part of me that was like, oh, like why, you know? Yeah. And so I was able to say, hey, I love you, I forgive you, and I'm not mad at you. And she just broke down. And, um, and this was over the phone? This was over the phone. And um, 
you know, I don't think she was able to receive it deep down in that moment, but I think, uh, I think it meant a lot. And so that was the first uh, conversation I had with one of my biological family members. That must have been, I mean, you'll never forget that. No. That's amazing. Yeah. And then you said your half-sister are there. So your biological mom had other children. She did. So she had two daughters, um, and they're both related to each other, full blood. And then uh, I have a half-brother who I'm is not related to them fully on the father's side. So there's multiple fathers in the picture here. Um, And then there's me. So I have a total of three siblings. Wow. So they knew about you. They knew that I existed, but they didn't know my name. None of them were given up for adoption. Correct. None of them were. Yeah, my half-brother was actually in, I think it was close to like nine or ten foster homes in his life because my biological mother only recently... Um, got sober. Wow. Yeah. And the two girls, mm-hmm. did they live with her? They ended up living with their dad. With their dad. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's been kind of a shattered home experience for all of you guys. Yeah. How has yeah. that been to, do you talk with them? And yeah, so I, I keep mostly in touch with my half-brother, um, and um, he has had a very rough childhood Hmm. so with him being in multiple foster homes there was a lot of like turbulence in his you know um yeah life addiction to alcohol and drugs and stuff like that are definitely a part of it i know he just actually recently admitted himself into um a um care facility to to um uh to get help from that stuff. And so that's huge. Yeah, I, I went out in, I can't remember what year, 2015, to meet my biological mother and to meet him because at that time, that's all that's yeah. all who knew, all who I knew um, and met them and, um, and hung out with them for a little bit and just got to know them. And um, it was definitely weird, but it was good. Yeah. So it's amazing, Kevin, that you were able to, many people I don't know that, Especially seeing like some of the collateral damage after you were born and mm-hmm. having siblings, yeah, to move to a place of forgiveness, yeah, really incredible. Because lots of times, um, doing your search is always very interesting for me. Because in talking to people who are about to embark on their search, specifically teens, mm-hmm. you kind of have to prepare yourself for the worst, for sure, and hope for the best. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't know what it was like for you, but I'm sure some of that. I have to be prepared for maybe there's some rejection or maybe right. I can't rekindle. Or right. Yeah. I would say I probably felt ready for yeah. for that rejection. Um, and I'm glad I waited until I was ready for that because if I, if I had done it when I was younger, I probably, well, first of all, she probably wouldn't have been in a very healthy place. Um, but again, for me, I, I believe that was all like God's timing. Um, but um, I think for a lot of people, it's just like, are you ready to experience the worst? You know, because like for me, I had come to a place where I was okay with who I was and my identity wasn't in my adoption story anymore, um, that I was okay with whatever she was going to say. Like I honestly... It would have been hurtful if she said, I don't ever want to talk to you again. But I think I would have been ready to hear it. Because I would have been okay without that. Right. As I'm thinking about this, so you're 20-something years old, you're going through this. I would imagine there's a 
certain amount of conflict inside because I'm I'm grateful for the things that I have because it could have been worse. Right. Yeah. And so you're grateful for that, but yet there's still there's still a lot of pain associated with right with that whole situation. Yeah, for sure. I think I've got to walk a fine line because it's like I I my life probably was a little bit less um, all over the place than it would have been if I wasn't adopted, but I also had my own struggles with being adopted. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, really amazing. Um, so, I mean, I I met you and we you've been married and we talk about your wife and I'm just yeah. I'm just dying of curiosity. How has that played out in your relationships? Mm. If, yeah. if you don't mind sharing no, that. No, I'd love to share. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I really would say that it hasn't affected it as much as I would think, but but it's very possible it affects it in, in ways that I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, when when we're thinking on, you know, areas of anxiety or overthinking things or um, dwelling on thoughts, I definitely early on in our marriage, Katie and I's marriage, um, it was like I would come up with scenarios in my head of what could happen or am I going to be liked or um, what are they going to think of me or did I say the right thing or really just like self-sabotaging myself for either saying the wrong thing or sounding weird when I said it Mm. or um, anything like that to where it was like, oh, well, I'm going to like actually emotionally make myself pay for that because like that that wasn't good and it was really strange it was almost like a way for me to learn how to be better and um and that's not something necessarily that that I struggle with anymore but I'm I'm not sure exactly where that ties into everything but I remember Katie really helping me in in through that and I, I will say that first that I don't have a codependent relationship with her in any way and that I've gone through a ton of healing before getting married. Um, But, you know, there is a sense of, you know, when you marry someone, you marry them and they know all of you and they experience the, the highs and the lows and the good and the bad. And so she was experiencing that in that moment, like the bad things, like the, all those things. And, and it really was a beautiful thing for me to be able to bring her into that moment. And I think there was a sense of me having to be okay with bringing her into that, of being like, I'm really struggling with my thoughts right now. And I'm, I can't, I'm really struggling with letting this go. And, uh, and even to this day, that was, that was probably three years ago, but to this day, there's times here and there, it's not as consistent as it was, but there's times where she says, Hey, Kev, like you need to just let it go. Hmm. Like it's, this isn't helping anything. What you said was fine. It's not a big deal. And you need to just let it go. And I'm so thankful for that because I married somebody strong, but I think that, that, that could have been associated with you know, feelings of abandonment or not being good enough or any of that kind of stuff and me having to protect myself from not being good enough um, in some way. I don't know if that helps, but I'd say in in the big picture, um, that's probably one of the biggest things. And and I do um, feel like I've gotten to a place where I can have and receive affection in a a greater way than I think I would have when I was younger. You use the term early on to be known. Mm -hmm. And as you're describing your wife, I'm hearing that. Yeah. Like you feel truly known Mm -hmm. with the thoughts, the 
insecurities, right? all of that, she knows you. Right. And for a lot of people, especially with relinquishment adoption histories, because we have that primal wound, that sense of it's terrifying to let people not truly know you. Yeah. For a lot of people, I don't know if you felt some of that. I use the term terrifying. It really is. No, it, so it's so incredible. terrifying. Did yeah. you feel some of that? Yeah, yeah. I did. I, I, I honestly think that in my first serious relationship where I was thinking about marriage, mm-hmm. I think was a much darker time for me of, of like really struggling with like, am I okay with this person actually knowing me? I don't know if I am. And uh, that was years and years ago. But I think that that's a normal thing to experience. And I really did have a fear. And, and it did come up when I was dating my current, my, my wife, Katie. Um, and uh, I remember being on, on dates and almost feeling like I had to put on a facade a little bit. And, and part of that could also be human. You know, we get comfortable with people once we hang out with them more. But, um, but there was um, a, a sense of like um, having to put on almost like a show. But I had, to, I had to get myself to a place where I was no longer okay with putting on a show, but I was okay with letting go of, of, my, of my need to be perfect. Um, and just be known. It really was a journey that probably was close to five years. It took a while. Yeah. And I, I mean, still, but I, at least I feel like I'm at a place where I can let people in. Yeah. And Kevin, part of the, the, um, specialness of getting to speak with you is in knowing you just for a little while that I have is that there's always been this constant awareness of, of working. Mm-hmm. Like I've heard from you, I'm willing to share my story. I'm pushing myself. You exude this really admirable quality of I haven't arrived, right? But I'm healing. Thank and you. every day, yeah, takes an effort. I want to really recognize that. If that's okay, that's great. Thank you. you. That I feel like even being here right now, like Rob, I'm willing to share. I want to push myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because believe it or not. To those of you who haven't known you forever, right? Just getting to know you, I would have never guessed the social awkwardness or the the isolation or all of that stuff. And you are, you're so engaging and friendly. But I know on some level, some of that's natural. But as you would say, I think you've really made it a concerted effort to to pursue that and grow. I have, yeah. So that means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I just yeah, it's just such a remarkable story. So catch us up. So we have this amazing story. So bring us into the current now. How's your relationship with your folks? Uh, you know, it sounds like your relationship with your marriage is really in a state of progress and really providing you with what you need. Mm-hmm. Funny, funny that we're doing this now. Last night, I actually spent like probably close to four hours on Ancestry.com oh. building out my family tree. And so I did um, a Both DNA. Both biological and adoptive. Oh, just biological. Just biological. Yeah. And um, because I just wanted to see where lineage was and ancestors and all that kind Uh of stuff. Um, And so I talked to my biological father and my biological mother um, on a uh, fairly normal basis. I'd say once a month fairly. So that's not, you know, by any means um, a regular cadence, but I'd say we have a healthy, good relationship. Um, And... um, so really quick, I don't, 
you know, my I met my biological father only um, about two years ago because for most of my from 2015 or so to uh, 2021, I thought that my biological father was a different man who he really was. And so um, I had this. And, and again, like I wanted to trust my feelings because I had a feeling that something wasn't right. I had a feeling that my biological father wasn't who I was told he was. So I did a DNA test and found out that that was not my father. But you had father. known this man who you I had known told, this man and I had established in a relationship with him and all of that. And so um, ended up doing the DNA test and actually hired, uh, or not hired, but um, consulted, uh, they're called search angels. And it's just a bunch of people who are really into genealogy and, and, and like to help people find their family. So they found my biological father. And then we went out um, to actually go to a wedding um, of, on my adoptive you know, side um, of a cousin of mine to Bend, Oregon. And we actually met my biological father there. But it was kind of cool seeing him and and uh, seeing his charisma. Hmm. And uh, he's also had a very um, a hard struggle with substance use as well. Um, but uh, actually has uh, gone to the he spent some time at, I believe it's called the Shepherd's House, and it's a place where they go to just recover past addicts. And he's actually now a mentor there, um, and he works at a restaurant now. And uh, so it's just been really cool being able to have a relationship with him over the phone. Um, I think one time recently I told him on the phone, he um, he said, you know, I've actually, I've got to go. Um, I've got to go back to work, but it was so good talking to you. Um, and this was probably after we had been talking for a couple of years off and on every other month or every month. And then he kind of paused for a second. And then he said, you know, actually, I, I don't know why I just lied. I don't have to go, but I was just really uncomfortable. Oh my God. And I said, oh, you know, Adrian, like, that's okay. Like I'm uncomfortable too, hmm. you know, but like, we're gonna, we're gonna be okay. And I think that was a really beautiful moment because it kind of like that realization that like, you know, it's okay to be uncomfortable. And this is like, honestly, pretty freaking wild. <laughs> and so like, yeah. it's just going to be a little bit strange. So did, did he know that you existed prior? Uh, so he was actually one of those. If we take it back to the very beginning of my story, he was actually, he like looked at my eyes when he was at the hospital and he said, that must not be mine because I had different colored eyes than him. Oh, and so for gosh. him, there was that feeling of, I should have chose you or I should have known, but he didn't. And, you know, for it, that's not his fault by any means. In fact, I think that my biological mother was actually saying, no, he probably isn't yours. Um, and so for him, there was a lot of shame around, I let you go, but mm. that wasn't the case at all. So let me ask you a question, uh, Kevin, as, as we head towards the end of this, I how is your journey and your search and finding them, mm -hmm. how has that impacted your life? And then the other question is for many of our listeners who have adoption stories. There's a lot of people who, for whatever reason, might not have the opportunity or, they're you know, their story is just, it is what it is. And right. they're never going to find their parents. Right, right. Um, maybe speak to both of those things. Yeah. For me, I'd, I'd say the biggest thing for me, <clears throat> I truly believe to this day, if I, if I didn't find my biological family, I would still be okay. Hmm. And that's because I found something other than them to put my identity in. 
And uh, for me, that was my faith. Um, and uh, so that, that for me was the biggest thing. I, I really, truly would say if I didn't find my biological mother and biological father, I would, I would still be able to function as a healthy adult and, you know, be married because that's a choice I made. And so I think that it's really important to have something other than that to put your identity in because we all struggle with identity issues, right? Course, it's just yeah. a part of being human. So for a lot of, you know, people listening and they're never going to get that closure or, or meet them, mm-hmm. um, you're saying there can be some healing even though maybe there's not that opportunity for whatever reason. There, there can, can be. There can be some Yes, healing. yes. I even think about just the the relationships that I've had with friends and family Mm. um, that are aside from my biological family. Um, I've made the choice to seek relationship and seek reconciliation. Um, And so I think that it's really important to, above all else, try and find a way, even though it's probably going to be really hard because there's shame and there's trauma and there's anxiety and there's depression and all the things that come along with that to, to want to seclude or to want to lash out or want to be angry forever and be angry at the universe, the people, your parents, whatever. Um, but there's gotta be something, um, that really just takes you to a place of like, okay, I'm going to choose to love and I'm going to choose to be known even if that's really, really hard, because it's going to be okay on the other end. Really hard and really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, as we if we share today, please hear my ultimate gratitude. It's such a gift to be able to hear your journey, and I wonder how many people out there have your similar experience, mm. one similar. What, what What is it that you'd like the, the listeners to really hear? Yeah, I'd like them to hear that, that there's hope, I know that there's so many um, adoptees that that are angry and are mad and are isolated just like I did and um, have things in them that they know that they're, you know, capable of, whether it's, you know, being an entrepreneur or whether it's being, you know, an artist or whatever it is. And I want them to know that they're loved, they're seen, and that they're experiencing something that's really hard for them and that that's okay for it to be hard. Um, But you're going to be okay. You've just got to like, again, like I said, I think it's really important to be known, Mm. be okay with being known. And that journey of being okay with being known is a long road, but you're going to get there. For parents, one of the most encouraging things for me was when I saw my mom going and getting help too, Mm. because I knew that that's modeled and that's okay if I'm not being okay, if I'm not okay, because my mom cares about, you know, being supportive and being, you know, okay as well. So let's, I know you've undergone therapy and as a therapist myself, I do want to make a little bit of push that um, if you do have an adoption history and that's part of a relinquishment that, um, yeah, do a little investigation to make sure that if you're seeing a therapist that they have that they're adoption competent. Mm, That's a great point. That they really be able to understand Mm. because oftentimes in an effort, even as therapists, we can want you to think your way out of your pain and do all these things. Mm. But as you so eloquently put, there's a big emotional piece and there's some healing that has to happen um, that's much deeper than just thinking your way out of. Because, you know, adoption and being having that early separation we call that oftentimes a primal wound, that it's, it impacts us. You can imagine 
that little going from a fetus to the infant that's right. separated from a known environment yeah. is is a trauma. Totally. And I love to think about all the trauma little Kevin went through. Hmm. Being separated, being abused, mm-hmm. and uh, the way you're working on relationships and you've got some real relational success in your life. Yeah. Kevin, this has been invaluable. It's been so good. Thank you for your time, too. Well, thank you for sharing, and this has been wonderful. I just want to say thanks to Kevin for sharing his adoptive story. If you have any more questions or like to get any more information, please visit us at our website at EmbarkBH.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on our next Roadmap to Joy. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks.